0: Hello and welcome to First Postal. This is a show where we usually get together and help each other do better and be better. Um, I have not been in the mood to do my normal intro. Because um, we're talking about things that you, c- you can't come at it with a, with a voice of cheer right now. Um, and so... There's nothing scripted. There's no pre-statement or anything. This is just me and my friends from all over the United States sitting down and having a conversation about the racial energy um, within our nation from an individual and a systemic standpoint. Um... And I thank all all of you guys for joining me today on this podcast and getting in here last minute to just kind of give, give an example of what it's like to sit down in these spaces and hold these conversations with people who don't necessarily think and walk and talk and breathe like you do. Um, I'll start off by saying... Um, it's, it is Thursday, June 4th at the time of this recording, and uh, as I said in the previous episode, um, yesterday I was pissed. I was so angry. Um, I lost it. I lost my cool completely. I broke down, um, trying to process how people are missing things, or choosing to miss things, choosing to close their ears and point blame on those who are being oppressed. And um, I took it a step further, and it made me more mad that most of the hate is coming from fellow Christians like myself. that, that's probably what's been making me most angry, is that there are fellow, quote unquote, brothers and sisters who are finding an excuse to continue doing what they're doing because they don't feel like it's their problem, but it's mine. Um, I'm not so much angry today as I am exhausted. And I feel like the exhaustion is not gonna go away for a while um, I don't I don't know if the focus is gonna be back anytime soon. Um, but I I need to sit in it, just as I know all of us need to sit in it, and perhaps as having to be in a global pandemic situation where we're not running to and fro to you know hustle and bustle through life is. Forcing us to have to sit in this and be exhausted together for a bit. Be irate together. um, And just stare the ugliness in the face. There's really nowhere else to look. It's either this or Corona. Take your pick. We don't have any any real options right now to be thinking about. So um, I don't know who wants to start off um, with any thoughts on what's happening um maybe maybe Faith you could start since you are um you are from Minnesota and so for you it's this is like home this like what's happening right now hits directly home for you and so I kind of want to hear your perspective as you know a a black female in America I guess yeah. you have like a Nigerian background like me yeah. but what's what's yeah. explain explain what's going on with you
1: yeah kind I just want to thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast today I really appreciate it and just want my voice to be heard um so I am from Minnesota born and raised um and I think that a lot of people don't know about Minnesota. It's portrayed as like this liberal and progressive state, and it really is not. Mm. It's very passive-aggressive, um, and it's very segregated. And I think people miss that point. It is extremely segregated. We have some of the worst wealth and education gaps in the nation. Wow. And people don't realize that about Minnesota, um, I think we're like, we didn't know those black people in Minnesota and it's like, there we're just segregated. Um, wow. and I think that people, when this happens, no black person in Minnesota was surprised, yeah. um, at all. The Minneapolis police department, the St. Paul police department have a history of this. Of police brutality, we have a history of being over. We pre- have an overpresence in Black and Brown communities. Mm. So, I won't lie. When I heard about George Floyd, I was not shocked. I was numb, and it it's to, it's, it did not shock me. It didn't shock me. that was in the App's police department. I mean, we just had we were just getting over Philando Castillo, and that was just scratching the surface and when i say that i wasn't surprised or shocked my mom is a victim of police brutality remember i saw my mom be physically assaulted by a police officer when i was nine years old and i as a nine-year-old kid, saw how this system was not set up to protect and service and how these systems justice won't be served this justice system was not created to sit here and protect and serve and bring justice to a team Um, so when I sit here and I'm like, I'm not shocked and like, it's hard for me to sit here and be hopeful when I sat here and I witnessed something so traumatic and yes, we live in a day and age where there's video evidence and there's body cam video, which exactly the same situation with my mother, nothing happened, nothing changed. Um, and it's sad and I'm sitting here, I'm talking to friends and I'm like, I'm not shocked, and it's sad, I say that I'm, but these officers, it took them how long to charge them, but if you look at just last year, two years ago, when it was Officer No and Justine, that was quickly addressed and handled, and it didn't happen, um, but here we are, we see clear-cut video, eight minutes of a police officer doing someone's neck, and it takes that long to sit here and get justice, and it makes me so mad that we have to take the streets and the rioting. Um, I, don't even want, I don't even want to call it a riot. It's an uprising um, for justice to be done. It's not that they knew what they did was wrong. It's because they want, we're hurting the, the growth of the community, we're hurting them economically. That's why they want to say something. And I'm also annoyed because I think a lot of people it took them a long time to say something because they saw that people were leaving. And I just want to say for a lot of people you never came to Lake Street. I am so sorry. But Lake Street is predominantly black and brown. When I got to college, I went to college about, I'll say, three, four blocks from Lake Street. I went to Lake Street all the time as a kid. My parents and family were out Lake Street. Uh, I was told to stay away from Lake Street. They were like, it's dangerous. It's this and that. Like, don't go there. It's crime rate and all this stuff. I'm like, I've been to Lake Street plenty of times. So I have been have to eat on Lake Street all the time. So what are you trying to, you've never been to Lake Street and set foot on there, and you want to sit here and police this community and talk about people who are looting. And I'm like, it is Target. They will rebuild at the end of the day. And people are missing the, the whole point, why people are doing this. And then it makes you think of, like, this is not just about police brutality. This is bigger than that. This is about systemic oppression, this systemic racism and oppression. Because so if you think about these communities they have a long history of being underfunded, under-resourced, low economic growth, job opportunities, and let's talk about environmental racism, if you put it there. So of course, when something like this happens, people are going to be angry and they have every single right to be angry. And they sit here and have people who have to, who look like me as a black woman. I have to continue my life and everything's okay. I have to present at work, I have to go to school and act like everything is okay. When just this past weekend, when we had white anarchists and white supremacists patrolling the Twin Cities, my brother had to flee his home because he lives right next to, not too far from where George was killed. And so I had to worry about my family and it's having, I have brothers, I don't have any sisters and I pray for life every single day. I grew up in the suburbs and um, which is where my mom was, physically assaulted by a police officer. And I had my brothers who were questioned like just being outside, being kids about like what they're doing in this, ne- in this neighborhood, um, being questioned about why I was in advanced placement courses, uh, being accused of breaking and entering into our own home. So I think that this is not, it's not just about police brutality and then this is what sparked the conversation, but I think people are starting to realize, which is a lot of white people, Uh, that this is a bigger issue and that they have been benefiting from white privilege and these systems of oppression and racism for a very long time. And all these companies are coming out with these statements and pushing forth DEI. But I'm like, what does your leadership board look like? What does your executive board look like? And that doesn't reflect the black community that you're standing with.
0: Wow. Shoot. That's, That's a lot, Faith. That's a lot, and like I, I didn't even know, a lot of that, and
1: I, it's I just it's, in it's that. a lot because then you hear, it's always get over slavery, but people don't understand that the remnants of slavery are still instilled today, mm-hmm. and so it's like how can we be told to get over something that is still putting people. Up? that still has an oppression that we can't. There's systems, systematic poverty, and the cycles that families cannot get out of because right. of slavery. So that's not something that we can get. I don't think it's something that we'll be, ever be able to get over because we were enslaved for over 400 years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I that, like, that echoes um, something I read today um, by someone I know and love personally, who is an immigrant from Europe, and from their perspective, like, what's happening or, like, what happened to George, specifically, was horrible, but that America's not racist. It's just not. Now, I can step back outside of my perspective and experience and go, I, I'm not going to tell you that your America is not racist. I, I can't tell you, that's literally your narrative. Um, that's your experience. Um, the issue with saying that it's not is that you're basically saying that only your narrative exists. There's no other narrative out there, but you wouldn't know that unless you walked in a different skin. Like you you would miss this even the subtleties because they're not directed at you. I've had this conversation with friends. I, we used to have this conversation when I was an undergrad, uh, predominantly white, Christian university, and we had um, issues with, uh, for example, this was after I graduated, but it, it it happened in the same month that things always pop up on that com- on that campus. Um, we have a we use Black History Month to use uh, the Black Christian Union organization on campus and, and allow them to showcase who they are and the makeup of that organization. And a few years back they had done uh, they had brought in like a guest black pastor and whatnot and one of the students had gotten on yik yak and started like in the middle of church service was saying like, Oh, so they Oh, so they're just like bringing in monkeys and they can just like do whatever they want. And someone screenshotted that, posted that on Twitter, and it went like viral throughout the church. Um, And it was interesting watching how the university handled that, but also how students took that. Um, Because for white students they were like oh it's an isolated event like it's really not that bad while black and brown students were going this is literally an everyday thing but you wouldn't know that because you you're not me like you're not you're not missing how our white teacher is literally grading me differently because they don't expect that i can excel like you can because of my skin Like, they're telling me this in their office. Like, it's okay if you don't fully understand what's going on in my class. The number of times that I've had teachers tell me this. Like, it's okay if you're just, like, not understanding. It's not a big deal. Things like that. Like, you, you would not be able to process that these things are happening unless you walked and breathed in the skin that black and brown people have. I still can't say that the world view that you have doesn't exist, there is this, That it's just that that's not the only narrative out there. So I, I think we also need to like sit in, in statements like what you said Faith, and like what the reality is for black and brown people in Minnesota, who for them is like, this is literally a regular day for us, like that was nothing. Where the rest of America is like shocked. Like in Europe is he, like everybody's like whoa that's not okay. And you guys are like we know but uh, here's our life. You know? Um, I don't have a right to tell you that it the fact that that's everyday life is c- couldn't possibly be true because it's not everyday life in my community. Like that's that that's like ignorance at its fullest to even to even say something like that um i thank god for the grace that i have to be able to see people like this um it doesn't make it hurt any less it just makes it a little bit more frustrating and i i've literally been replaying in my head all week jesus's statement forgive them for they know not what they do like him on the cross like i like i've been saying this over and over in my head i'm just looking at people and i'm like so this, this is how people... This is how Jesus was looking at people on the cross. It's like they really have not a single clue what they're doing. They can't even hear themselves. They can't even see themselves. I I just have to forgive them for that. Because he could have he gone to the cross angry. You know, like this is like I'm so livid that this is how people are. And they're treating me and treating everyone around them. But like I ah the energy it would take to do that like i'd rather forgive you knowing that you're ignorant in yourself than to sit here fuming while i'm trying to save your soul like i i'm starting to get an inkling of that ability to just look at you and be like man you actually have no clue i don't even i don't even know how to help you like i'm I'm gonna try but like I, i I can't even expend that much energy to force you to understand what different realities are outside of your own um, so it's just i'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to sit in what you just said faith because that that's a lot um, that's too much uh, but I'm gonna sit and think about what you just said um, Brent. You, you are a white pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. You've got to tell me what's happening on your side.
2: Yeah, so again, I'm grateful to be a part of this. Um thankful just to hear your hearts. I just honestly, um, especially just as a white pastor, uh, where I'm sitting right now, I'm sitting about a half a mile from where Breonna Taylor was shot and killed in her apartment. Um, and it's just crazy. It's just I, – I, I can't even fathom um, anything you guys are feeling. I can't I, – I wish I could um, just for a moment to just take a burden from you for five seconds and let you just rest for five seconds. I wish – there was something that I could literally take that from you just for five seconds. And I can't. Um, and so that's just why I, I, one of my big things for the church is just the Bible says mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, like do that, take that moment. Um, so it's been really interesting, um, because as a pastor, but then also just as, um, Someone who's white, um, when when I begin to speak up against uh, racial injustice, um, the me- messages I get are quite ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure you've maybe seen some of my Facebook posts and uh, things like that. Like, yeah. just the craziest things. Like, um, obviously, to speak up for racial injustice, you must be a liberal Democrat who doesn't care about anybody but yourself. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Where did that come from? Mm. Um, And some of these things. And for me, uh, just the wake-up call, I used to serve at a church in South Carolina um, while they were fighting over the state flag, which is the Confederate flag. And when when they were fighting over statues and when Charlottesville happened um, and literally people were getting so bent out of shape, white people were getting so bent out of shape over the. Blacks being wanting to speak up for what they have going on. Um, and I almost ended up getting fired from my church <laughs> while there because I just started speaking out again. Like, how dumb do you have to be? Uh, I probably shouldn't say dumb as a pastor. That uh, might come back to buy me. But, you know, how silly do you have to be to ignore things? Like, even uh, a pastor friend in the area uh, of a predominantly black church, he last night read um, – Martin Luther King's uh, letter from the Birmingham jail and literally that is a response to something that I'm hearing from the white community to the extreme right now he wrote that in response to eight white pastors who are saying no we need to just have unity we just need to let the courts handle this stuff we need to just let it play out that way while he's sitting in jail for being arrested for doing a peaceful protest um, and and it's so hard just to sit here and just like, it's hard to just not hear people's pain and not want to love them. Um, and my plea for everyone has been just to, just to, let's just say, I can't even put it into words, just, just love. Like, why is it so hard to love people? Um, And in Louisville here, especially that you know, we're starting to kind of see this kind of turn in a sense of where people are are starting to listen a little bit, Um, but they only go to the extreme of, well, Breonna Taylor was killed by a no-knock order. We need to get rid of no-knock orders. Whoa, that's not that's you've missed it. You've missed it altogether. If you think that's all it is. Um, and, you know, one of the worst things, and I saw a pastor tweet out the other day, and I shared it and got a lot of flack for it, um, was, can you imagine how, I don't even know the right word, how stubborn you have to be uh, to ignore thousands of, of black Christians telling you their pain just so you can pick and choose the one black person who agrees with your view. Wow. I uh, think about that as I got sent a video from a political black woman who was basically telling us we shouldn't mourn George Floyd because he had a criminal history. Even though he's been out of jail since 2013 and hasn't had a single incident or anything on his mark since then, like by God's grace, God changed him. Right. Uh, And I think for me, it's really hard as a pastor, especially a white pastor, to try to navigate a church to a new direction, to navigate to understand like, hey, we have to understand it's not been that long. Uh, There's people in my church. You know, we have the token one token black family in our church, and they gotta have one. So, so we're gonna say we're diverse. Don't worry, we're (laughs) diverse because we got one. We got the Um, one. (laughs) And um, they, um, it's so hard because they're sitting there like, when I was in the '60s, I saw it. Mm -hmm. It, I saw it first, like up close and personal. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you missing it? Mm. Um, and it's so hard to try to navigate people to see that it's okay to admit that there's issues, right? It's okay. Hey, you're not going to like stop being a Republican. If you admit there's issues, you're not going to stop being a Christian. If you admit that, Hey, clearly the housing market does not side with black people because it is more likely for a lower white class family to get a loan from a bank than it Mm. is for an upper class black family to get a loan from the bank yeah what the world yeah um and don't even get me started on the whole all lives matter but that's kind of the uh you know stuff it's really hard for me and in my my heart to just be like man can we just sit down can you just take some time to genuinely sit down with people? Because 90% of the people I'm hearing talk against it. I don't think I've ever had a genuine conversation with a black person.
0: I can't agree with uh,
2: this. And have never sat down with them and heard their their hurts and their pains. Just take the time. Because if you think it's just about George Floyd, you've missed it. Mm-hmm. If you think it's just about Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Trayvon Martin, oh my gosh, don't get me started on all these names. If you think it's just about them, you've missed a lot. You've missed that this these these riots, it's not the first time it happened in the 80s in Miami uh, when, a, when cops killed a teenager. It happened in Cincinnati in 2001, 92 in LA. It's happened every couple years because we forget. Mm. We don't listen. We wouldn't have cared about Ahmad Arbery if there was not a tape. Right. We probably wouldn't have cared about George Floyd if there was not a tape. Right. Like, no, it's deeper than that. It's mm. like Faith said. Like, this, this: the racism is there, whether and we just have to own up to it. And there's nothing wrong with that, saying, like, yeah, we brought you over here in 1619, 401 years ago, mm. April whatever, and that's what is, and And yeah, you fought our wars. We should love you like veterans. But, you know, 10,000 black people fought in the American Revolution and then got sent home being told they're three fifths a person.
0: Mm. Wow. Like,
2: come on. Like, you're missing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're missing it. But I'm not going to get going too long on that.
0: No, that, uh, that's I'm so thankful for your perspective on it and your honesty and how you de- delivered all of that. Like, it's. I I couldn't. I would I would be frustrated as a white male pastor, like a white male pastor. I don't know, especially a white male pastor who gets it. See, that's the difference. Yeah. Cause there's a whole bunch of white male pastors right now who are like, "Just get over slavery. It's fine. It's not." Yeah,
2: we, we gave we, you we gave you Obama. That's enough.
0: Right? Yes. 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 We gave you Obama. You've had your black president. You're good. Like get over slavery. Get o- You're not oppressed anymore. I've heard. I've heard white male pastors say things like, you know, to to discuss, to even bring it up on the pulpit is doing injustice to the true gospel, and we're supposed to be spreading the true gospel. And I'm like, how do, how do you even? I said this on the last podcast, but like, I I can't. I don't know how. You can open the Holy Bible and not see an unfolding of God of heaven and earth trying to stand up against social injustice. Like, that's literally, that's like the entire
2: story of the Bible. It's literally the beginning of Genesis when uh, uh, Cain kills Abel.
0: Yes.
2: The beginning. (laughs)
0: literally like page three like it's just like right there how do you miss this as a pastor who's just saying like i refuse to talk about it how i don't know how you're a pastor and you're missing this i that that's concerning to me on how you are leading your flock
2: so many people too because the younger generation, Gen Z especially, they want to fight for justice. Right. They want to see how people are responding. The church as a whole is losing millions of people wow. a year because we're scared to address simple, simple things. Yep. Uh, and sorry, you're the younger generation doesn't want somebody to just come up there like scared to say the name Breonna Taylor or something like, you right. know, we're not going to speak their names. We're just going to pray.
0: We're, We're just gonna, pray. gonna
2: pray. There's riots happening. We're gonna pray for that, right? We missed it. MLK even said the riot is a is the voice of the oppressed. Like it just eventually overflows, mm-hmm.
0: like right, right. <laughs> like, okay.
2: It's no. They can't no, it's, see me. You can. not I write.
0: Like, he's he's ready to like pull his own hair out. Like guys, he's he's so frustrated and and rightfully so. Rightfully so because when you. When, when you go through seminary and you get to dig deep into the heart of who God is based on what you're reading in scripture, how do you come out of that still seeing the world as though it's this is this, we don't do that, this is that, we don't talk about that, it's just what we've always believed, what we've always done and we're here to stay within the status quo of of the, the Christian norm like the Christian norm as it is right now should have never been We shouldn't have been a complacent group of people that show up on a Saturday morning, a Sunday morning, sing a couple hymns together, hear a good sermon, and then go home. That was never, I don't know, I I don't even know how we got there. Like, how do we go from being fiery people within, like, the book of Acts, who literally lost their lives often for speaking out against certain things, fighting On their knees and in speech and entering entering arenas of this is not right what you're doing is not right what you're believing is not right let me let me put it in the context of your culture so you understand why it's not right they were constantly using the the culture of the people that they were addressing they were looking at the the the, the makeup of a community and going, okay, what makes them tick? How did they see the world? Now, how do we take what they know and the philosophies that they've learned, the 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 ideologies that they've been raised with, and t- and create a narrative, create a story that we can present yeah. to them to where they go, oh, is that what's been happening? Oh, like I didn't know that, but it's like yeah, finding it's, the words yeah. to address it, and we are somehow we've come into this like cherubs on a cloud situation. I I I don't know how we got
2: here it's literally first corinthians 9 first corinthians 9 says um like the jew i become like a jew like the gentile become like a gentile and it's yes. literally saying um though i'm free and belong to no man paul's writing i'll make myself a servant so i can win more it's literally that's the gospel that's the gospel. saying i'm getting down into the dirty with you and i want to know your story and i want to hear you could you imagine for a second that jesus looked at like the paralytics or the lepers and all these people that were considered outcasts, the ones that couldn't even come in the city, Uh, the woman at the well, any of these people just like eh (laughs) like no, not for you right, not for you, sorry you just don't fit my agenda
0: (laughs) right oh my stars the gospel would be a joke throw that in the trash but like that, yeah like he lit, I mean yeah, As from the Christian perspective like if you're if you're not able to do as Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery who was brought, she was brought by herself a group, right, by a group of men. A group of church leaders brought one girl and told her, told, told the Lord that she was caught in an act of adultery. I'm over here looking for who she was caught with but that's neither here nor there to them. And instead of Jesus joining them or correcting her in front of them Instead He sat in that with her And then looked at the people That accused her and was like If you've done anything that you've accused her To do Then you get to throw stones at her And everyone yeah. walked away And then in that moment He was like you don't, have to, you don't even have to do that anymore You're loved and forgiven He, he literally protected her In that moment When he could have done anything yeah. else How are we yeah. missing this how are we missing this? Be like Jesus. From what perspective are you looking at Jesus? I don't know. I don't know how you're looking at Jesus. Some people out here looking at Jesus. I can't. I can't get on that train with them. I don't know. They, Jesus is probably who they're talking to, but not Jesus. I don't know who they're talking to, but that's not it. I, I, I can't process it. Oh, jeez. Um. Jeremy. Um. We've been... We've been texting a lot these last couple of days, and uh, just a lot to to think about. Um, the things that we've been discussing, um, and it's so nice to have someone that I trust to, to have these types of conversations with. And um, what it what is what is your perspective on on just like your, your life, your profession, what you do in, in the context of what we're seeing right now, what, how are you, how are you processing this?
3: Yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> I, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's been really an interesting experience for me, um, emotionally, because, uh, through all of this, at uh, first, um, and, and, you know, um, many of the other deaths before, and just so much of my life, I've spent um, very quiet. Um, I'm half, I'm half Caucasian and half Tongan, and so, um, and I actually grew up with my, with my white family, and so my mother, and my siblings, they're all white, blonde hair, blue eyed, um, and I'm not. <laughs> um, and so, it's been an interesting experience, experience for me personally throughout all of this. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the positives to come out of this, at least for me, and I'm sure for many other Americans and people worldwide, is I finally feel empowered and, um, and like I was given the courage, you know, through so many speaking out at the same time to finally talk about the subject and own the fact that that prejudice does exist and that I've experienced it in my life. Um, even though many people would consider me quote unquote white passing you know? um, the experience of somebody who and this, and this I think is you know ultimately what white privilege comes down to is that when I walk into a store and I deal with a cashier a question in my mind is whether or not they're, if they're rude to me are they being rude to me because they don't like how I look like, are they being rude to me because I look like an ethnicity that they might not like? Or are they being rude to me because of some other reason, <laughs> you know? And, and that's a question that I don't think that white people have to ask themselves. If they do, it's not very often. Um, and I think ultimately that's what white privilege comes down to. And, like, man, have my eyes been opened. Um, and th- there's a little bit of shame in that for me. Uh because I think, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, um, but I think that a lot of people are maybe things realize internalized racism, um, you know, within themselves, uh, within themselves. Like I, I just hadn't realized, you know, how often I had shrugged off a story or an experience, even that I had had myself, um, and told myself that it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it was, you know, oh. or, or excused it away. Um, it's something else. Uh, and, and I'm just, I'm just really tired and I'm, I'm exhausted in doing that. And, and I, I spoke out about it publicly for the first time, um, just about three days ago. Um, and I, I truly have never talked about my, my upsets or my my experiences uh, with race uh, publicly before then, um, because I just felt like I couldn't. I felt like uh, I felt like people would uh, excuse away the things that had happened to me, or um, or even um, uh, or minimize my, um, my experiences. You know, um, and I just didn't feel like I was strong enough to deal with that mm. um, and so I think and again I don't think I'm alone in this but I finally feel like I can unapologetically speak openly about my experiences and feel support from general community in that and that's I think uh, I think one really really awesome thing to be coming out of this um, but honestly, I don't think that would have happened without riots. I don't think that would have happened without, without protests all across the country. I don't think that would have happened without people speaking out on social media. So to say that those things aren't important and that they're not doing something important, I think is, is a joke, mm.
0: <laughs> to be frank. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah, and... Um, and you know, like it's uh, its an interesting road to walk. I think um, being right now in this time because I'm not black, and I—I I felt you know before speaking out publicly, I felt uncomfortable or um, concerned that I would be taking away from the correct voices mm. by speaking out. Um, and that's not what I wanted to do, you know, like, this is healing for me, um, but simultaneously, I didn't want it to be about me, you know, I didn't want it to, I didn't want to make something, um, that's about George Floyd and hundreds of others and hundreds of people who aren't even spoken about. Yeah. Many probably don't even know about, except for maybe their family members. Wow. Um, and, and I didn't want to take something like that and make it about me. But I do think it's important for people in my situation, for brown people, people of color, et cetera, to, um, to speak out about this because, because my small experiences mm-hmm. um, with prejudice, and some very not so small, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I... I know that my white family my white friends have never experienced something like that and so me to add my story to the rest of the voices speaking out right now just strengthened everyone else and I think it's important for all of us to do that
0: yeah yeah and and, you know for you I I keep thinking of how it's been for any person of color who's mixed in any way like black or brown um, and how like how how to walk that line of you know, like you know, you you don't want to deny either side of yourself. Um, you don't want to be angry with half of you. You know, so it's like um trying to process being a mixed person of color, black or brown in America at this time or really any time is there's I think that's a voice that gets uh, overlooked because um, we're always talking about black people, brown people, white people. and when in reality we have a lot of mixes. We have a lot of mixes, and so it's, like, how, how do the people in the gray um, address and process the realities that they either face personally because they don't look mixed, or they they're, how they're mixed is enough to pass as black or brown in its entirety, or, like you said, like, If they're white passing, like, which I don't, I don't even like those terms. I don't know how else to say them. Um, And it's, I feel like it's a very difficult, uncomfortable space to always technically have to sit in, not because you want to, and you're not just being who you are naturally, but because it's always being thrown in your face, the black versus the white or the, the, the the white versus the brown, or, you know, it's it's brought to your attention, and you're like, but I am both white and brown, or I am both white and black, so all of, all of the conversations are important to me, but how do I navigate that day-to-day and help the people around me understand even how it's affecting me, you know? Um, so that perspective is necessary to hear, especially at a time like this. You know.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the uniqueness of the of the position actually serves this conversation very well because um, I think that it it shows it reveals some inherent racism that many people, um, for instance, in Utah, uh, the client here is is. Um, it's very nice. People in Utah mm. are very nice. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, and so, when you see racism here in Utah, it is it is frequently not um, violent and outright or blatant. It's um it's very casual. It's very commonplace. People mm. say it to say those comments, um, such as, "Hey, come to the front of this photo because you represent our um, our diversity." But then you don't ask my opinion. When it comes down to the important facts, right, or the important mm. matters, uh, oh. just there for a photo, yeah. and that those those things are used constantly here, and and overlooked. And I think I think I feel like what is going on in, across America is hopefully giving everybody a moment to pause and ask inside of themselves, so, like ask, you know, really, really um, use some introspection to to see where prejudice still lies inside of ourselves because those microaggressions, which I, I don't usually like to use, you know, like broadly coined terms, I guess, but, yeah. but these like, I don't know, casual casual racism is just like repeatedly accepted and it's, it's quite horrifying to me. Um, but I think that being mixed lets people see what they want to and oftentimes what they don't want to mm-hmm. um i fall into the term in the entertainment industry as ethnically ambiguous
0: what which wait wait, wait stop stop hold on which
3: wait 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 it's commonly just like casually used wait what that <laughs> you're ethnically ambiguous so what 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 was that
0: but i'm, I'm just like thrown off by that term that terminology yeah, so they just here, like place you commonly. anywhere
3: in so many so many casting situations I've seen the word looking for ethnic ambiguity
0: oh okay that <laughs> that okay 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 Wait, uh, okay <laughs> that what
3: and I'm laughing and it's not funny but it's I
0: mean,
3: like yeah. what is funny to me is that they think that it's okay right it's so common right uh. and and, to, and what is interesting to me is that we're not looking more harshly at Hollywood at Broadway at
0: mm-hmm. all of the
3: entertainment industries, and saying okay you guys are not doing your job yeah you guys formulate repeatedly what we think about different ethnicities yeah. You guys continually reinforce racism. Mm. Every movie, every TV show, every music video, you're doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. And the people of America and the rest of the world deserve better. Yeah. And they're not giving it to us. Right. And it's constantly excused. Okay, well what about what about the what about the stories like hairspray? Right. Those stories are important to be told.
0: That Those one
3: are important mm-hmm. to be told. <laughs> But, you know, the more that you <laughs> emphasize, you know, it, it, and it is difficult. It's a difficult line to walk to because when do you stop asking and saying, okay, well, we need black people to play these black people roles, tell these black people stories so that we're historically correct and that we continue the story. And where do you stop that and say, okay, it's really not okay to ask for ethnic ambiguity when this is not serving the story's purpose. You're right. Like, it's just, it is a difficult line to walk, and so giving them the argument of that is, is like, I see it, I hear it, but also, do better.
0: Right. Because, like, literally, at the end of the day, like, when you think of how how many years do we have to have another type of EGOT uproar because the makeup of all of the people voting on all the EGOT awards are not representative of what's actually out there um and sorry for those who probably don't know what you got i just said that but it's um emmy emmy grammy oscar tony right um it's like these award ceremonies every year i mean how many times do will and jada smith have to say something at these awards how many times like it's like you're you're even overlooking what's happening and it only leads to them going, "Well, next year then, we'll like make sure to at least add one person of color in at least maybe five categories." So maybe it will silence them and we can go back to what we were doing the year after. Like it's just hey. It's like what was what is why are we all in the same industry? hustling for the same thing and, like, our pay is completely messed up, our recognition is completely skewed, who's voting for us is so bland, doesn't even create the makeup of Hollywood or the the entertainment industry at all, and we're literally left to your devices if you even cared enough to see our performances or hear our music or anything. Like, you literally get to choose who you're even considering in a category and we have to do jumping jacks and backflips just for us to be listed on a category like are you kidding me it's it's so it's a lot we and we hear it every year and it just kind of oh there they go again and you know bringing up the race in Hollywood and It's just, like, every other year we go through this. But it's, at the end of the day, it's, like, a fight that we go through um, every year. Like, people in the industry have to do this every single year. I mean, even when um, Monique, I mean, not everyone likes her, but when she just, like, brought up how she's not being paid equally compared to her white female counterparts... And it was a huge issue, everybody wanted to drop her and it's like, but like that's legit you know what I mean like she she's allowed to say that because it's happening um so like don't be mad that she just brought it to the spotlight for everyone else to see that it's happening um it's just i don't i'm I just i can't I can't process this and this is also why it perpetuates this like issue when. Those of us who are viewers of the entertainment industry are like, Oh my goodness, I I can't believe they cast this person in this role when it should have been played by so and like someone like so and so, and it's like, Well they literally had a casting call specifically for someone like who they casted. That's why yeah. it's there. It's not like it's not like, the actors went around going, like, hey, we understand that there's a whole group of people that should be playing themselves, but we'll do it for them. Like, no, that's, that's not it. They were asked. That was what was desired by the creators of the, these movies and, and TV shows. So you can get mad at those who wrote that as the, their desired casting call, you could maybe also be mad at those who are reading those things and still going for the auditions instead of speaking up. At the same time, they also got to eat. They got to feed. So, you know, like they can't for every single thing say, like, I can't do this. There's things that people are speaking up about, but end they have to feed themselves at some point. So, there's like, there has to be like some kind of dialogue between the actors and the producers and the singer-songwriters and their, you know, labels and, like, how do we... How, can we help each other in this so that we're not trying to be racist or prejudiced or overlooking or looking too deep? Like, how do... How do we need to have a better dialogue, even in the entertainment industry, for how to navigate the the, the racial underbellies that have come from Hollywood cuz you can even go as far back as um, what is what is that like uh it's bothering me maybe Courtney remembers it's a it's a movie from the 1930s where oh. where everyone was like blackface to depict oh. to de- I like leaving me right now but like to depict how Um, black people look to white people. I'm like, that's, that was, that's, that is the foundation of the movie industry. Like, that. And it's like, Uh, are you sure that has left us? uh, You know what I mean? Like, that, that's our, that's, that's what we stand upon. So, even to, um, like Breakfast at Tiffany's and seeing how that's, you know, like making fun of the Chinese by using a white man to like play a Chinese role. And like, all, like this, is, this is the, this is not the genetic makeup of the entertainment industry. So even something that is as simple as saying, we're looking for someone who is ethnic, ethnically ambiguous That shouldn't be overlooked. That should be brought to the spotlight. People should know that this is how actors of color are having to literally go through their line of work every day so that way they can literally eat and sleep and breathe and move through the world like everyone else does because they have bills to pay and they they gotta not be hungry. You know? Yeah, and, one,
3: and and it's interesting because we think, you know, oftentimes we think that the entertainment industry is just, you know, that's a separate problem. But it's not. It's a representation of the American problem right now. And I love America. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the military. I ran for office. I love America. Yeah. And it's an American problem. Mm-hmm. This, is, this has gone back all the way to the very beginning, how we built this country. Yep. We stole slaves, we brought them over to build it for us, we took the land from Native Americans. Yep. It, it has always been the case.
0: Yep.
3: It has always been oppression in order for white people to succeed. Yeah. And that's an uncomfortable topic. Yeah, My white family members, if they listen to that, of course there's a twinge inside of me that says, oh, that's hard to say, I don't mm-hmm. want to hurt their feelings. Right. But it's not about their feelings, it's about that we deserve better as an american people and we have to move forward and in order to do that we have to talk like this yeah we have to be honest about the fact that america was built on racism that it is still alive and well today and if we don't look at it it's not going to change right and so we see riot and so we see people speaking out finally and it's it's uncomfortable and it's so important
0: yeah
3: it happened to me in politics as well Mm. You know, like, wow. hey, hey we, we need you to represent our diversity. You know, we need people to know that people are of color are Republicans as well, so that they don't think that we're racist. Yeah. I have an idea. How, you just make sure you're not racist.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> this should not be difficult. How
3: about when I run for office as a Republican with the last name Egan, you don't send me an email that says, you don't look like you'd be an Egan.
0: Oh my, What? What?
3: How about we start there, and then you can put me in your photo so that I can represent your diversity, because you truly are diverse.
0: Wow. Uh.
3: Yeah, sorry, I feel like I was uh, hijacked,
0: but... No, that's... Wow. It's an
3: American problem. It is. And this isn't a black person problem, this isn't a Native American problem, this isn't a mixed, this isn't POC, this is white people and everybody else
0: right right yep.
3: and and there are plenty of white people you know i'm not saying that they're not allies they're not supporting it's it's totally possible but and and it's happening all over and that's a beautiful thing and it has to happen more and they have to be the people to speak out because if white people aren't speaking out about the entertainment industry because it benefits them Mm. that they get all of the roles Mm. then that's an issue yep that's racism yeah don't you post that little black square on your instagram Mm. and think that you've done your duty and that you're not racist
0: yeah yeah
3: if you're fitting from the fact other people like casting directors directors producers are racist (laughs) and you're benefiting from that yeah you can't say that you're supporting
0: yeah
3: wow okay sorry i'll stop
0: i man and see that's like I, i i This is literally why I even asked you guys to do this, because the makeup of this group is so broad and wide and deep, and getting the insight from different avenues that people may not think about there being racism, you know, people who just say, like, I don't see racism, I don't see it, I'm not experiencing that, like... Hearing things like that, even from like, oh, the entertainment industry, racism? What? Like, yeah, no, we, it's a thing. It's, it's seeped into like the, the fibers of everything that makes America breathe. It's just, just, that's just it. So thank, thank you for, um, shedding that perspective and even a political perspective on it. Um, so that's that's so important, um, Courtney. Um, you're you're in Philly, and um, I I'm sure Philly's probably in uproar because the the makeup of Philly is um, very black and brown heavy, and so like what what are what are you seeing and experiencing and feeling as a black woman in Philadelphia right now
4: um yeah so in um, in Philly it's I don't know I think it's I guess I grew up in Philly I'm born and raised from there so it's like I guess mostly what I expected Mm. um I mean everyone's been in the house for months um and there's this kind of opportunity to be outside for a reason um Mm -hmm. and there are two different sides to reasons for being outside um and so you absolutely see like a lot of you know people who have been like cooped up who just want to be out you see people who are passionate and frustrated about these causes um you see people who are frustrated about being black in America, and absolutely um, expressing as such, Mm -hmm. Um, you also see other people who are just truly looking for a fight. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just kind of across the board. I mean, um, so there was like a lot of um, vandalism and rioting by people, Of all races um, in Center City for sure Um, and then there was a lot of I think looting looting and rioting on 52nd Street but there were also like a lot a lot a lot of peaceful protests Um, the National Guard um, came to Philly and they were protecting um, City Hall remove the Rizzo statue which I think was long overdue they also, um, I believe that the National Guard was like staying in hotels. So they're staying for a while in Philly, oh, which wow. is something that's not really advertised. Um, in more of the predominantly kind of white areas, um, mm-hmm. where um, not so much in South Philly, because I live in South Philly, but definitely in Fishtown, there mm-hmm. were a lot, a lot, a lot of white people in the streets with bats and pipes saying to the police, we're here to protect you. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the, the we're just flying all around. Um, there were like a lot of flashbangs. There were people on 676 that were peacefully marching, and then they got trapped on the side, and like tear gas was being thrown at them.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, most of those bodies appeared to be um, non-black people, um, which if I may say as a black person, it's kind of nice to see. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm exhausted in this pandemic in general, as you know, Candace, um, across the board. Yeah. Uh, And so just, I mean, it's just been, it's been what I expected in Philly. Um, Mm. And I think that people have absolutely a right to be frustrated. I mean, I think that it should, it should come out how it's going to come out. So yeah, Philly's Philly's been just as lively, to politely put it, as mm-hmm. everywhere else for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and that—that's also you know that you brought that up that if something was gonna give, if it wasn't gonna be riots and looting and intense protests over covid it was gonna be something else and it's not like we weren't already seeing that with covid people are people have already been on edge this year this year has been a lot since January 1st for uh, the whole world um, so I th- I saw something brewing um, I think the ability to see such heinous uh, in cold blood, videos, scenarios, situations, really just helped tip over all of the things that were building up everywhere. Like at this, all at the same time, it was like that's it, we're done. We're having, we're not having this anymore. And it came from so many different angles. Um, and a friend of mine yesterday talked to me, and she was like you know, I really don't see this as being different. Like, I think, kind of to touch back on what Faith was saying, that it's like and even you, Courtney, that it's just you know, this is this is a regular norm but the the difference is not in the injustice that we're seeing. It's in the response to it. Like, there's a different response and she was trying to think of but like, why now? Like, what is it so, what is so special about now that all of a sudden everyone and their mom cares so much about the injustice? And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're quarantined and we don't have anything right. else to distract exactly. ourselves from. What other news do we have? It's COVID exactly. or racism or maybe exactly. politics, but that's even got washed out somewhere because it's too complicated so you have two options yeah. right now
4: that's one of that's definitely one of the conversations that i've been having with a lot of my friends is um it's i'm i i'm happy that um so let me start by saying this like there was um this conversation that was going around um one of my, i called the, i call this person my virtual mentor her name is Miley till on uh, teal um on um Instagram, well, she's on many platforms, but um, she's the founder of ProBox and she posed this question that said... Uh-oh. And it got me to thinking, and I was like, you know, I've kind of never not known I would call. Um right. As you know, like, your mom, well, your mom calls me what my mom calls me, which is mocha, but mocha. everyone calls me mostly cocoa. And it was because I didn't have a name for a week, and um, because all my mom wanted was a chocolate baby. So I was just never not aware of the color of my skin mm. because it's literally in my name yeah um
0: wait Courtney, so wait before you continue that, um, what was what was the question because you got cut out a little bit what was the question oh yeah that was
4: posed? the question was when did you first realize that you were black
0: oh, okay and yeah. so
4: there, there's this influx of um messages from um i think just black people in general, I've, I want to say most were black women, but black people in general where they were just discussing um, uh, when I was in fourth grade and my teacher said, hey, let's make so and so disappear and turn the lights out. Um, references to like care, references to being called the N word, um, questions about skin like oh, you're dirty, you need to take a bath and Clorox, like just so many things of um, that also resonated with me, like I've had so many of these things happen. but. I But the difference is that at home, I was constantly being talked to about my skin, not just in America, but in the black community and then in the non-black community at large. Um, I was I was never not talked to about my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that got me to thinking about like these other instances. I was like, you know, I remember feeling feeling like this. Just I mean, like incredibly sad and exhausted um, in 2016 um, mm-hmm. when um a lot of, um, I think it was the first time that I was like, I was at like a a, a job where I was working with a very diverse group of people, um, and I was the only black person on the team, um, mm-hmm. and I was exhausted and I didn't want to go to work and I felt like no one really understood why, mm-hmm. um, and. I felt like I was the only one feeling like that. Yeah. Um, everyone was like, "Oh, that's messed up," but no one said anything, no one did anything, no one checked in, and now all of a sudden, it is completely different. But my first recollection um, was I was too young for um, what happened in the '90s, but mm-hmm. I think my like my first recollection, kind of like as like a kind of like more conscious, as in like adult, doesn't mm-hmm. um, like as a human, Um, I was, I think it was in 2002, Mm -hmm. I may have been about like 13, and it was Sean Bell, and I think that Mm -hmm. uh, he was shot like, please forgive me, but it was an exorbitant amount of time, I want to say like 50 times by Mm -hmm. cops, and so this has been something that has been recorded and going on for that long, I mean like way longer than that, but like I've never not known. I mean, there weren't any hashtags really in 2002, but like, I've never not known, you know what I mean? Right. A year or a time to go by where this wasn't something that I wasn't aware of. Um, and I've just grown more and more tired. And so I'm not gonna lie, like the pandemic has been like this weird balance of um, good and bad for me. I hate to like juxtapose it like that. But there have been some beautiful things that have happened during this and some horrible things that have happened during this for me and my perspective and my story specifically. Um, and I think that this is just one of them. I'm super happy that everyone is at home and is forced to be stuck on social media, um, to have to endure this and see this and deal with it. They, They can't like check out and go to work or check out and go to a bar and continue to live their lives. You're, you know, primarily in your homes. Um, and, and so you're kind of forced to deal with this. And it has allowed me a little bit of a freedom, mm-hmm. not to say that I couldn't take it before, but to sit back and just to let other non-black people fight this fight. I'm tired of fighting. I've been fighting, unfortunately, since birth, essentially. Like, I'm, I'm truly exhausted. Um, and it's, it's I, I'm not saying it's nice to see, because I don't want it to be like, oh, it's so nice to see. That's not what I mean when I say that. But um, just I'm at a loss for words. I'm actually mentally exhausted right now and I apologize, but I'm gonna check out soon. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's good to see. I, I just can't find the word that I actually wanna use, but other, other people like my white friends just basically like, they, they've been checking in on me because I've had other tragedies happen during this pandemic, mm-hmm. um, but they've been checking in on me but they're continuing to check in, but they're being conscious like hey do you have the capacity for this and they're saying and and they're not telling me from a place of guilt which is kind of nice like my my true friends that i talk to every day um they're just saying like hey i've been talking to my friends every day and i've been sending them whether they want or not and how they can be better um and what you can do and where you can shop from and here's the information it's like great uh it seems like you know our friendship has paid off at least for me Mm. and i don't feel like the token and then there are other people in my inbox very unwanted just spewing not just their white guilt but their non-black person guilt all over me because they realize that they have a privilege as well and Mm. um it's it's and then i know that we've talked about this before just like the intersectionality of um being black and also being a woman yeah i feel this on on two fronts and i'm just and, and they're not separate I exist as a person with both of these. Um, And I just, yeah, I'm just, I'm tired. This, um, being a human these past three months um, has worn me out. Mm. And on top of it, I happen to be in a pandemic. So yeah, just very tired, not surprised. Mm. Um, Happy to see the movement forward. I hope that it continues further than just um a little bit of a spark. I honestly hope that it turns into a fire that burns mm. for a, as long as it needs to to really um see what comes out of the
1: ashes. wow Yeah. Can I just I just wanna echo everything you have been saying. If there was a retweet button, I'd be retweeting Um I just want to touch base on when you brought happening now, why are we getting the response we are currently getting and I've been asking myself that the past couple of days and when you brought it up again I'm thinking about it and I I mean we are in a pandemic and I'm like if we weren't in this pandemic and everyone was staying home would we have got the same response because I'm like if we're in a pandemic and people are going out to protest amongst all these other people and we like via airborne or whatever they say, um, this, this speaks volumes. This says yes. a lot. It and does. the fact that we have yeah. people, it's global at this point, mm-hmm. people all over the world who yeah. are taking a stance and a lot of people who are like, wow, the U.S. is really racist mm-hmm. and are becoming shocked uh, at what is going on. But at the same time, this also Happens in other countries as well. Right.
4: Yes. Uh, I was just about to
1: say. <laughs> yes. I was going to say. Because everyone just like. Someone the other day was like. The UK is a racist. I was like. Well. News have you have seen from the UK. Because. They just as wild as we are over here. No they are.
4: Uh, Don't just stop at the UK. Like. I've spent a lot of time in Europe. Um, for work. And there are. Plenty of countries that are. You know. Protesting in their little. You know. Cities right now. And I'm just like. Mm. I'm here for it, but let's not forget.
1: Right, exactly, right. let's not forget. There's and what like I was saying, I think
4: well.
1: at this point, it's we're tackling everything at this point. We're talking about systematic racism, oppression, police brutality, education, We're talking everything. And for a lot of my white counterparts, I'm not even going to lie, yesterday I posted something on Facebook and it shared something about how a lot of um people's black people's first experience with racism I'm part of telling them you don't act black mm-hmm. and I share that on my Facebook and when I tell you the amount of apologies from white people I have been getting today and yesterday, my inbox is flooded. they're writing essays on this post apologizing um, and I'm just at a point where I'm like I'm out of high school like I'm over here in grad school. I don't even remember most of you, um, but you're sitting here writing in my post. And I think for a lot of white people, what they saw was, like, police brutality as what we've been angry about for so long. That's what they've seen on the news with people protesting on highways and stuff. And they thought that was just it. But they didn't realize that there's a bigger issue with racism. A lot of them thought that racism was something that happened, like back when people were enslaved and the Martin Luther King with Martin Luther King and then all of a sudden there was this kumaya and everything was done but people don't realize that they t- the little parts not even I'm not I don't even want to say little the parts that you take place that you participate in racism and a lot of white like, people think that they're not racist because they don't say the n-word mm-hmm. and it's like no you still benefit from this system yeah. and you still participate in the system at the end of the day right. and they think it's because it's not in their face that it doesn't exist and they don't see something if they don't, a lot of people feel like if they don't see something it doesn't happen It hasn't. they haven't experienced it doesn't happen but that is not and then what I've seen is a lot of people post MLK quotes and they're like Martin Luther King wouldn't have wanted this that's not the way Martin Luther King would have done it and I'm like, well, if he was not killed, if y'all didn't kill him, maybe we would know what he wanted. And then a lot mm-hmm. of people are like, the way you're protesting about George is not what he would have wanted. George would have wanted to live. Okay, oh, so you. don't sit here and tell people how to be angry and how to protest yep. when he is. Yeah. Um, and I think at this point, it is it is so hard when we have. A leadership that is a joke and does not take anything seriously, and like we're seen as like this laughing stock. And right now we're protesting and we want all the changes to be made. And it's so hard when the leadership continually fails us Mm. and yet isn't designed to uplift us in the first place. So how do we sit here and talk about dismantling? systemic racism and oppression because I'm past the point where everyone wants to push for diversity, equity, inclusion. And it's like, yeah, like we have to dismantle these systems because it's not always about having um, like, let's make sure we have more black people and do X, Y, and Z. When you put us in these systems that still exist, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really proud of the youth for leading this movement because they, we didn't even get to heal, like, just, not, it hasn't even been 30 days since we just watched another black man get lynched for going out on a job. And, like, we don't have time to heal. It's, like, back to back, back to back yeah. consistently. And people are still crying tears yeah. over Emmett Till. Yeah. So, people are like, oh, wow, like, and they want to bring up history, and it's like, it does not matter. Like, this is bigger than George's, about well, the complacency that we have in the United States. Uh. That this is gonna like be swept over and it's a cycle, which is like people are tired of the same narrative. Yeah. Someone is killed. Yeah. there's uproar. Yeah. And then boom, we go back to our regular scheduled programming. Yeah. Um and at this point people are tired, and I'm so proud of the youth and being able to be involved in this movement and beforehand on um, just seeing how hungry the youth are for change. And I think we have a really big movement and big things are going to be in.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I want to chime in first. I just love listening to all this. Um, as a white person, first off, but I, um, one of the things I was talking with someone yesterday and kind of goes off of with uh, something Faith said was uh, we were talking about integration. They're like, they asked me straight up, they're like, well, clearly we've made a difference. Integration happened. I'm like, well, not really, because if you actually look at the studies when integration happened, you want know what white people did? We created private schools. We right. created private schools that costed too much money for black people to get into. Right. Like, all we did was make another system of segregation that mm-hmm. was legal. Right. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I think faith hits on. and that That's the fight. The fight isn't just because somebody got lynched. It's so much deeper than that. It's so deep. And it... It's frustrating to me sometimes to just listen uh, to hear because even you know she made the statement about you know she posted that some people say that you don't you don't act black you know and I can literally there's a million statements that we've made
0: mm-hmm. as
2: white people. Uh, your brother's been one of my best friends since I was a kid, and I probably made that statement to him because he was way smarter than me and everything. And then it wasn't until gosh. We were in college or maybe just graduated college that he kind of looked at me and said, you know, that used to bother me. Yeah. <laughs> and like yeah, and Stuff like that. And, you know, it's so crazy because it's for us, like for me and for us, we don't comprehend what we say. Like, I don't think people get it. Right. And as a pastor, you know, I, I look at Ephesians 4.29, and, you know, uh, whatever you say needs to be uplifting um, and things like that. But yet, hopefully, nobody in my church hears this podcast. But, you know, for the church as a whole, we, atta- we t- attach to a very kind of racist president um, and right. who says right. some of the most terrible things right. all around. Right. Who, honestly, if Obama did any work for eight years, he's shot it way back. Yes. <laughs> and he's doing anything. Yes. Um, so, I first just appreciate listening. But, that's what's hard for, I think, white people is that they they just don't want to admit their sin. Mm. They don't want to admit that. Hey, you know, I saw people share. I'm never going to kneel before black people. And I'm like, well, for 400 years, you made them kneel before you, and then turn around and whip them. Whoa! Like, I don't know what your what your problem is. Like,
0: mm. you wow. can humble
2: yourself a little bit. It's not going to be that big a deal. Wow. Um, like, you know, I've but. Not gonna go on that rant, but you know it's so hard for people because I mean you can walk through all of it. School systems, we say, you know, whether it be property taxes fund public schooling, which naturally, you know, where I am in Louisville here, if I go a couple blocks over is one of the poorest schools in the city because the neighborhood is poor, right? But I go over two blocks over from that, and there's a private Catholic school. That costs twenty five grand a year to go to. That has two black people in it. Like, yeah. There's so much of this kind of stuff that I don't think we notice, and that we don't. We're not willing to fully address. And that's what people aren't getting. That's what, especially as a white person, my people aren't getting. Mm. Is that it's not just about one thing. It's everything. Mm. It's across the racism, right. whether you admit it or not. Uh, and even as a church, uh, you know, she said intersexuality at one point, and there's this critical race theory and some of these things. The white church has come against that so hardcore that they're like, that's wrong, that's unbiblical, that's everything, let's avoid that.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're
2: telling it to black people.
0: Right. <laughs> right.
2: Like, you don't know what they've experienced.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, you're literally... "Quote unquote lynching them again in the church because they use something to help you try to understand privilege that you just won't." Mm. Um, but sorry, I just wanted to chime in for that because you said something that kind of hit. But yeah, it's crazy.
0: It is. It's absolutely crazy. Um, just you know at. I'm I'm gonna wrap it up with like a couple of personal incidences that I can just remember from my growing up, um, living with a with foreign parents in an all-white neighborhood, um, going to the white schools, quote unquote, and going to a white church quote unquote I remember um, how being the only black kids at my elementary school we were looked at very differently um, in both our private monastery school and public school and in monastery school I I remember the kids coming up to me questioning why why my skin was so dark and they were just they're so confused. I remember having to talk to the teacher about please can you please tell the class to stop putting things in my hair. Like I I I I don't like that they're putting things in my hair cuz they're fascinated by the fact that things stay in my hair. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want them touching me. I I just want to be friends with them, but if they keep doing this, it's going to make it very difficult. And my teacher having to announce to the class of kindergartners, first graders like, "Please stop putting things in Candace's hair. It makes her uncomfortable." Um I remember having to navigate being a smart black kid around white classmates. To the point that by the time I got, well actually not even that, every single black history month was, Candace tells the story of black people month. And us picking out stories to read, specifically during Black History Month. For example, we read the the book Tears of a Tiger. For some reason, we decided to read Tears of a Tiger during Black History Month. And the entire time we read it, our class discussion started out with Candace. Is this what black people do? I'm like, I don't know. I would think not. Do I do this? Do I- do I go to schools and just shoot up schools? Do, have you seen me do that? To the point where I got in trouble for calling out. I sent a very angry email to my 10th grade English teacher because I was so livid and I got in trouble for it. And I was like, but you're missing the point. Like there's so much happening day to day for me and you're not protecting me as my teacher. But why should I expect you to? Because you're my white teacher. So you don't even understand. And when I tell you straight up, I probably should have worded it in a more respectful way. But I, at that point, I didn't care about respect. I cared about my voice being heard. Um, I got in trouble for that. Um, I was often told by my white classmates that I'm so white that I could probably lead the KKK. They put, they stuffed my locker with white tissue papers to signify the cloak I could wear because I'm such a white black person My parents didn't come to America for that. They didn't. I forgave them because they did not know what they did. I loved them because they did not know what they they were doing. I got attacked by fellow black friends because I wasn't in classes with them. They thought I was overachieving. They would tell me I'm overachieving. Oh, you think you're just so brilliant that you're going to be in pre-calc in ninth grade? Like, gosh, like way to like brag about who you are like who do you think you are you don't actually live the black experience you're not really like us you don't live in our neighborhood you don't walk in our shoes and you know you're always with the white people and i'm like i'm in i'm just going to class like i'm literally just going to class it's the class i'm registered in it's the class that challenges me that's it i didn't pick my classes based on the race that i would prefer to be and i picked it based on what I like to be challenged in and what I'm passionate about. It's not all about skin tone. Sometimes it's just about me, being me, doing me, in the context of how I was raised by foreign parents who came here to give us better than what they had in their home countries. And for that to be be continued on because we chose to go to boarding school, which was highlighted that, you know, private schools are not really catered to black and brown students. And even our teachers in public school telling us, like, why are you doing so much? Like, you don't need to do that. You can just stay here and it's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't go to boarding school. It's not that much different from here. You're doing the most when when my brother's went to Ivy League schools. It's like, why are you doing the most? Why are you doing the most? Why is it the most? when black and brown students wanna get achievements that white people get all the time. Why is it the most? This is why this is why my mom always told us to be extraordinary and uncommon. This is a phrase that everyone keeps hearing Kevin say and they think it's like the coolest thing that Carolina Lushla says all the time. But she said it because to be extraordinary and uncommon as a black or brown person in America means that you're barely reaching the 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 floor, like from beneath the floor of what it looks like to white America to be just common and ordinary. Like you're literally barely touching that bar. So you have to do more to be seen as potentially the same. And even when you do more, now you're being extra. You're doing too much. You don't have to do all that. So no, this is not just about some random guy who went and running in a in his own neighborhood got shot. It's not just about some girl who's sleeping in her house and accidentally picked the wrong house and decided to just shoot whoever's in the bed. This is not about some guy whose neck was practically being broken by the police. It is it is literally day in and day out interactions with people that are so subtle that if you If you're not in our skin you can't there's no possible way for you to actually sit and feel what that's like if you are open-minded enough like like Brent is to be able to like train your eye and your ear to at least hear and see things despite the fact that you you can't sit in what it actually feels like like that's that to me is victory. If people can even just start doing that, like how do, how do I recognize the the subtle cues of of the voice of racism and prejudice in the nation? Because if like like we've already talked about here, if you literally think it's about these just so happen to be recorded incidences, and that's it, and that there shouldn't be a problem because no one. Has shackles on their feet and and ankles anymore I that makes no sense there's no logic to that because people when people are shackled for so long and people have been the instigators of of slavery in its physical Laws and keys that unlock those chains don't change mindsets. They don't. We, we have to choose to change mindset. So if you are taught to see people in the shackles that were technically taken off physically so long ago, You've never actually taken the shackles off. You've only made them invisible to the human eye, but also very real for the black and brown person walking in the context of your master mentality and until you realize that you benefit from the master mentality, we're not getting anywhere. Nothing's gonna happen, and slavery will truly not be abolished. Slavery was abolished on paper, not abolished in practice. And we need to sit in that. We have to sit in that, and just as much as white people need a, reach across the table. Black and brown people have to let their guard down a little bit to allow for themselves to reach across the table, too. Because unless all sides get together, sit down and listen to what's going on from all perspectives and actually hear it, listen to it, receive it as it is and marinate yourself in that, this will never end. And so if if we if we expect and I'm coming from the Christian perspective, if we expect for us to go to heaven and all of a sudden we're gonna be one, that completely diminishes Christ Blueprint of how to pray, and how he literally says, Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So don't expect for it to just magically happen once we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. How, if we don't experience what we're supposed to experience in heaven here, if we don't put in the work here, you will be just as miserable out there. You'll probably be worse off, because trust and believe, Jesus is not taking social injustice into his heavenly courts, absolutely not. So if you don't understand this, or if you don't wanna take the time to process this and understand it here you're going to ha- you you will be having a hellish experience in heaven and for those of you who are not christian not even religious whatever just a taste of human decency and true love in the world would just be so incredibly nice strive for that and if that means being uncomfortable for a while do that because at the end of the day really loving each other is worth it it's worth sitting through the discomfort and healing healing the deep pus filled wounds of America we gotta get the debris out we gotta we we have got to do the work to to sew us back up to a state that we actually truly never really were we want we should want better for for our nation and for people who come to our nation and for the children that we're gonna continue raising in this nation we should literally just want better and it's going to have to start with us. We can't wait for our government officials to do it. They're too far up the chain to even process what's happening on the ground level. We've got to keep... We've got to keep doing better down down here. So that way it can permeate towards the top. So, um, thank you guys for... Sharing your insight today, and I hope that those of you who are listening, um, that this is a this is a helpful uh, helpful way to process how to have these conversations with people. If you if you don't if if you don't have people of color in your in your sphere, but you want to talk to someone of color. Um, ask me reach out to me Um, I'm on Twitter at first Basel I'm on Facebook at first Basel I will respond if you have questions I will respond without anger I don't want anyone to feel bad for having questions at this time because the questions need to come out because if they don't come out of your head we're still gonna have these problems and we need to get it all out put it all on the table If you have questions, if you want to understand better, if you want to figure out, am I missing something? I thought I was, but now I, you know, whatever. Ask me. And go through your community and see, do I know anyone of color, black and or brown, mixed, whatever, in my community that I can actually sit down and have a genuine discussion and listening experience with them on what's actually happening because it's not your reality um but it doesn't mean it's not someone else's and so I just really encourage you to take this conversation in the part one of this conversation and really just learn learn the fact that you can sit down in these uncomfortable conversations and it And it be refreshing on all sides that it was even able to happen whether it it moved in the direction you wanted it to the fact that it happened means that something's changing okay so don't be discouraged please keep looking into what you can do in your communities keep having those conversations try to ask those questions don't feel bad for wanting to understand and process how you've been navigating the world and how the world needs you to navigate. Um, just take it one day at a time. One day at a time. Um, yeah. So until until next time, I will, will sign off from here. Thanks, guys.